Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. And hopefully everyone's getting their week off started in the best way possible. I'm going to give you everything going on around the world of Hollywood. A lot of stuff that happened over the weekend and over the course of last week as well that I want to get into. I'm going to be talking about some new reviews for some TV shows that have been coming out over the last few days. And some ones that I wanted to kind of keep updated on that I haven't really talked about that really released a re- some really good stuff over the last week. I'm also going to be talking about the all new Flash set photos that came out over the weekend. What what do they look like? How do the characters look? How do the costumes look? Some new looks at some old characters that we're really excited about. So I'm be getting into that and also talking about the Blackwater reactions that came out over the weekend as well. And I'm also in honor of F9 coming out this week here in the United States, I'm also going to be doing a little bit of a flashback to some of the big hits that led to the huge success of the Fast and Furious franchise in the last decade or so. But again, the first thing that I do want to start out on, as I do every single week when I open up my podcast, is of course doing a spoiler review for the brand new big hit show that is of course streaming on Disney+. Plus. I did it with The Mandalorian Seasons, did it with WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier. Now, of course, I am doing doing it for Marvel Studios' latest adventure on Disney+, Plus, which is Loki. And last Wednesday, we had episode two, which I talked about in my non-spoiler review last week. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great follow-up to what I thought, and I think a lot of other people thought was the, probably the best premiere that the MCU Disney Plus shows have had so far. No disrespect to Falcon the Winter Soldier WandaVision. They both did some great stuff in their openings, but there was just something about the way that they introduced Loki in that first episode in this whole new world world that the TVA was just on another level and to follow it up with I think what was another great strong episode kind of further advancing the plot the 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 kind of the the underlying tones and the character developments that we're trying to do I think was really really cool and surprising that I think left everything and really in sort of a a chaotic way that nobody really saw kind of coming and also just looking forward to it. I think there's a lot more anticipation for what we're going to be seeing with Loki than maybe we have had since maybe WandaVision. So I think there's a lot of really good stuff to be looking forward to, and I'm going to be breaking it all down right here with my spoiler review for episode two of Loki, which was titled The Variant. And this is, again, going to be a full spoiler review, so if you have not seen episode two of Loki yet, stop right here as I did with my other spoiler reviews in the description below. I will have the time that I am talking about this this review, so if you have not seen the second episode of Loki yet and you don't want to be spoiled, you can take your time, watch the episode, and then come back here, check what time we watch this on the po- we listen to this or watch this if you are on the podcast, and then you can kind of experience for yourself and be part of the conversation as well. So we're going to get into it right now. You have been warned this is going to be a full on spoiler review for episode two of Loki. So right now, here we go in three, two, one. Now it is all full spoilers for Loki season or not season, excuse me, episode two of the first season of Loki. And again, it is titled The Variant for very good reasons as we are introduced, I would say pretty quickly to the Loki variant that has been causing all of this commotion on the on the timeline, on the sacred timeline that, that Mobius has been trying to catch. And he thinks that it's going to be the uh, kind of a lookalike like Tom Hiddleston and they don't know what to expect. And then we get the big reveal that maybe this variant could be Lady Loki, but played by Sofia DeMarto. So it could be somebody else that we're seeing right now, but a, a really... I think for people that don't know the comic book and the the history of Loki on the pages, that this is kind of a surprise. It's like, oh, wow, there's a female version of Loki or there's a variant that's a female version of Loki that's out there. So that is really kind of the big reveal that happens. And you kind of see them 
go face to face and kind of match wits with one another. And then I think the big bomb wasn't even the fact of who the variant is, but the playing that the variant has had over these last two episodes in which every time she is comes face to face with members of the TVA, she kills them and then she takes their the, these reset charges. And, and if you know this, the show so far, it, it's been explained that these reset charges, basically if a variant branches off into another timeline before it really hits this point where it can't be erased, they have these reset charges that completely get rid of that branch and make sure that the sacred timeline is then kind of reset and put back on the path that it's supposed to be on. And instead of just leaving these charges, the variant has taken these at every single location that she comes into contact with these TVA officers. And I think this episode, we were wondering, well, what's her plan or what's this variant's plan? What are they planning to really do? And I think at the end of this episode, we kind of get that full plan where maybe sometimes this big kind of reveal isn't done until maybe the next episode, which will be the third episode or the fourth episode. It's done in the second one. And we still have four more episodes to go. And we find out that she is basically planting all these reset charges and dropping them onto the sacred timeline, basically nuking the timeline and branching off into these other different realities that are, that are going on right now. And now the TVA has to stop them by any means necessary. So that's going to be something really fun to explore in, in the third episode and in, in the upcoming episodes in the following weeks as well. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see how that all really kinds of plays out. And then just kind of going back for a, a little bit back into the episode, we also get a lot of stuff with Mobius and Loki. And at the end of this episode, we see kind of Tom Hiddleston's Loki go after this variant of himself and is kind of baited into seeing what doorway she goes through into what unknown land or timeline. We don't really know, but it seems like the, the, the Loki that we followed in these first two episodes is now going to be a fugitive of the TVA once again after trying to work with them in the last two episodes of catching this variant. It, it's, it's been a really cool dynamic to see Mobius try to trust Loki in every single way possible and sometimes Loki like in the beginning of this episode is fooling Mobius and trying to is up to his trickster ways of trying to get an audience with the timekeepers who Loki still does not believe in and there's this great kind of philosophical argument between Mobius and Loki like halfway through the episode where they're talking about what they believe in what they don't believe in what's real in their hearts and their minds and maybe some Something that someone someone else doesn't believe, but they have always grown up with these core beliefs and ideas. And, and so there, there was a great philosophical argument there. But again, going back to the trust issue, Mobius is trying to build this relationship, this this camaraderie with Loki, but Loki has just been trying to at every turn deviate from that. But as the episode goes on, Loki tries to build up this trust within Mobius, even though Mobius has become a little bit more hesitant of Loki. It's just been something that at the end of this episode, it seems like they're on good terms. And then everything happens with the Loki variant. And it seems like it could have been Tom Hiddleston's Loki that did all this. And maybe it isn't another variant of Loki. So now that trust seems like it's broken at this point in time. And a question also comes in during these next few episodes when Mobius is trying to find this Loki can that relationship relationship be fixed in any kind of way? I think that's a really cool angle from the Mobius side to see how he can deal with that, where maybe he feels betrayed at this particular moment in time. I'm not uh, of trusting Loki a little bit too much, and I wonder how that's going to change his mentality when trying to track him down right now. So I think there's just a lot of, I think, great ideas and really kind of cool the cool scenes and chemistry between Owen Wilson and and Loki that were just really just just top level top notch and build on what we experienced in that first episode that I think is gonna I'm really excited to see what happens in the coming weeks to to move forward with but the one thing I'm curious about is now that we kind of have these two separated is some of the magic of these first two episodes gonna be gone moving forward and I'm really interested to see the chemistry between this 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 lady variant of Loki and 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 the Tom Hiddleston Loki that we 
know and how that chemistry really kind of plays out because we really only get one or two scenes with them even though the the, the lady loki or the, the the variant loki that everyone is trying to catch has is really kind of switching bodies and it seems like she is able to kind of possess certain bodies for a, a, a moment of time and really kind of embody them so we don't really get to see them interact in that way we see get to see the 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 personality of this loki variant to play over with tom hiddleston but to kind of see more of that chemistry and that relationship build is going to be very 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 interesting to see how that really kind of goes out in the coming weeks so that that part i'm really interested in and also another thing that that intrigues me a lot is again kind of going back to the that philosophical conversation that Mobius and Loki were having about the about the origins of the TVA and and really are there these lizards these alien beings that are controlling the entire timeline or is that all just hogwash is that all just complete and utter BS and there's really something more something more simplistic about it and Loki kind of talks about it as being a, a cult and is that what this really is is the TVA something good and bad and I think this episode continues to kind of make you make you a little uncomfortable with the TVA where you you're not supposed to believe everything that you see and that there's more to it than meets the eye whether that's good or whether that's bad and I think there's some really good scenes between Mobius and uh, Miss Ravenna who's played by Gugu Mimaldi Raw in this show and if you know that character you know that there's more to her history than just what we're seeing on on Disney Plus right now so I think we're going to be getting a lot more of her and that maybe she kind of has an idea of what's really going on maybe she's the one running the show kind of taking a page out of, out of Snowpiercer in a way of what we've seen with Davi Diggs and Jennifer Conley where in the first season of Snowpiercer it's not really Mr. Wilford that's running the train it's really more of Melanie who's played by Jennifer Conley running the show and she's trying to keep up this facade maybe that's what R- Ravenna is trying to do in which there's no such thing as these timekeepers and she knows that secret but she's trying to keep up this notion this this idea of there being these beings that have controlled the timeline for all of time really no pun intended so I'm really curious to see how all that plays out. So again, there's been an advancement in the plot, in the story, but still a lot of things that are being set up philosophically that I think we're going to see pay off hopefully in the next few episodes. And again, one thing that I'm really hoping for that I'm looking to with this Loki series is are they going to be able to build up all these different ideas and pay them off in the end? Or are they going to really kind of branch off and say, we'll take care of this in another MCU show. We're going to take care of this in in another MCU project because I think one of the things that have really hurt the MCU shows so far is the fact that when we get to the, not really the penultimate episode because obviously the penultimate episode of WandaVision is spectacular and I really love the penultimate episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier but that last episode I think in in, in the first two series have not been up to par with the rest of the show and I'm hoping with Loki there's at least a lot of payoff in the storylines that we are setting up right now that, that can kind of make this a, a one season story while again maybe setting stuff up for, for season two or for some other MC projects as well so Again, I think they're advancing stuff at a really good rate right now. They're surprising a lot of people doing things left and right that we didn't expect. And also, I think doing some really cool things in the way of really kind of advancing this murder mystery that Kevin Feige teased at the Disney Investor Day. And I think they're doing a really good job of that. And so I hope they keep that up. And I really like what we what we have gotten so far with Loki. So again, guys, spoiler review right now. What did you think about it? Put down in, in the comment section all your spoiler thoughts on what you thought of Loki episode two. And I will be doing a non-spoiler review of Loki on Wednesday and then of course I will be doing one on Monday the spoiler review for episode three and if I don't get to it Wednesday I'll definitely be doing it Thursday like I did last week so one of those one of those two days this week I'll be doing my non-spoiler thoughts here on see episode three of Loki so again what do you guys think about it let me know and leave your thoughts below all right guys so Moving away from one Disney Plus show to moving on to the next Disney Plus show. And that, of course, is Star Wars The Bad Batch. And I haven't done a weekly 
a weekly review of the Bad Batch. I started doing it in the beginning, but I just feel like the episodes are are so short and they're very standalone that I don't think it has the same kind of impact and there are still a lot of episodes to go. This is a 16 order season. So we still have a lot of story to get to. And I think the last few episodes, I, I really want to talk about because there's a lot of good stuff that has happened over the last few weeks that I think really, really put this show into another gear. And so far, I think through eight episodes so far, the eighth one just premiered this last Friday. This to me, I think just just from the very beginning has truly been the best Star Wars animated show to date, I believe. I think it just has done an outstanding job with its story and its characters. And this past week's episode to me, which is called Reunion, is probably the best episode to date so far. And again, there's still about six or seven episodes left to go. We're only about like halfway through the season at this point. But I think so far from beginning to end, what I really love about the show so far is it's telling this one big story from the very beginning to where we are right now while still kind of doing their own standalone adventures. However, I do think that if you were to binge all 16 episodes when all do come out at the end of this and you want to binge watch all 16 at the same time, I think you'll get standalone adventures, but also this overarching story that has been going on from the first episode to the finale when that does come out later this year. So I I do think there's one one single story being told here, but they're doing a great job of really picking up these small adventures, going to different planets, advancing the arc of all these characters. And I think for people that maybe weren't on the Bad Batch, the characters and the group in the beginning, I think if you continue to watch the show, you, you start to get really invested into these characters. And I think the eighth episode reunion is really going to be that test where you think to yourself, okay, am I really into this show or or am I just enjoying it as a casual Star Wars fan? Or am I really into the story that's being told and the characters? And I think there's an emotional stake in this the past episode that aired that I wasn't expecting that made me realize just by myself, okay, I am invested in Clone Force 99. I'm invested in Omega. And the, the, the Bad Batch does take a little bit of a twist where it introduces a few fan-favorite Star Wars characters from the animated shows from before and I just think it does a really good job of just upping the emotional stakes that we didn't expect that there would be so far in this show given what we've gotten just in the first eight weeks overall so I really like what I've been getting so far I don't really want to spoil anything because I do want people to experience what I what thought was a shell shock a jaw-dropping bombshell of an appearance at the end of episode eight but so far I really loved what I've seen from Star Wars the, the, the Bad Batch and also also, I gotta say, and the animation always gets better with every single project that Lucasfilm does. You saw it with the final season of Clone Wars, and it just continues to translate in the Bad Batch. The the animation is just phenomenal. I mean, it is basically cinematic animation of this particular moment in time. It's not its not animation of old anymore. And when you see animation of old, you can definitely tell the kind of animation that's being worked on here. But this feels like fully 3D immersive, uh, immersive quality animation. And you feel like this is a, a movie or a live action TV show being played out here. The way that they're able to get certain camera angles. There's one shot, particularly at the end, that is just uh, absolutely visually fantastic. And it really kind of gets, it builds up anticipation so incredibly well that I'm just so impressed by the entire animated staff over at Lucasfilm and what they've been able to do with this show. And I'm really excited to see where they take it moving forward. And, and, and the, the facial expressions for all these characters, what they've been able to do is just absolutely fantastic. And I'm really, really excited to see where it all goes from here. But suffice to say, I am very happy with Star Wars The Bad Batch so far. I think it is great. It is definitely into me hands down the best Star Wars animated show not saying the full show overall that's still the Mandalorian obviously in live action but I think when it comes to animation as much as I love Rebels as much as I love Star Wars The Clone Wars I do think from beginning to end right now eight episodes in what Star Wars The Bad Batch is doing is amazing it's great and it's telling this one story while still being standalone at the same exact time about it. and I've really loved what Dave Filoni and his team have done 
over with this show so far. So I'm excited for the next few weeks, and I very much recommend watching these first eight episodes of The Bad Batch so far and get ready for what's going to be a major roller coaster ride in the next few weeks to come, hopefully, especially the way that they end the episode reunion. So if you guys have seen Star Wars The Bad Batch, what did you what have you thought about it so far? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Now, I want to get into the weekend box office that came out this weekend and there were it wasn't a huge box office weekend like we got a few weeks with A Quiet Place Part 2, but there were some great milestones that happened this weekend, and there was one big major film that came out in theaters, exclusively in theaters this weekend, that came out number one, and that, of course, is the sequel to the follow-up hit, The Hitman's Bodyguard, and it is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, making $11 million over the three-day weekend and $17 million over the five-day weekend because it came out on Wednesday instead of the traditional Friday this past weekend so you have to take into account the extra two days that it had in theaters and not a big big bang nothing that was huge not a 30 40 million weekend which would have been big for that film but a modest respectable weekend nonetheless when you take into account the five-day total as well and it, it still is gonna have to make a lot of money have really good legs in the next month or so to really kind of put into reason and going into the red on banking back the budget and making this a profitable investment for the studio and for everybody involved. But I think, again, for people that maybe don't see this film and the fact that maybe they're just, they don't want to see an action film or this franchise, they they know nothing about it, but still with the star power that they have with Ryan Reynolds, Sama Hayek, Samuel Jackson, $17 million for five days, $11 million three day is again, nothing to just not to anything to gasp about nothing to be shocked about nothing to really kind of weigh into all that much and and look into what does this mean for the greater box office it's just a respectable opening weekend to take the number one spot and i'm sure that's not going to happen next weekend when f9 comes out and it'll be interesting to see how much of the 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 demographic because they both appeal to the same one the action adventure thriller dynamic how much is taken away from the hitman's wife's bodyguard and translated over to seeing a more highly anticipated film in f9 so that'll be very interesting to see but again respectable weekend nothing to sneeze at nothing to poo poo at at all but a respectable weekend for the hitman's wife's bodyguard then we go over to a quiet place part two which surprisingly retook the box office crown last weekend but now dips down to number two on the weekend list this weekend and it makes a respectable 9.4 million dollars this weekend but the more impressive thing about it is the drop off in a quiet place part two and, and the amazing thing about this is the fact that it's been in, in theaters for four weeks now it's going to be almost a month soon since it's been released over the memorial day weekend and again it, it's it hasn't gotten out of the top five it dipped back up to the number one spot last weekend and it only dove down a respectable 22 percent in its money change from last weekend to this weekend it's made over 125 million dollars here domestically and it's eclipsed over 220 million dollars worldwide so again for the budget that this one increased to over the original one in 2018 i do think that this is going to be turn a profit for paramount for paramount studios i think for them this is a, a huge win overall this is a big boost and saying that maybe the theatrical window can be shortened and we can still make the money that we need to make in a 45-day window. And I think it seems like it's really worked for them right now. They've been able to make the money they need to. And by the time it does leave theaters in mid-July or it goes on to Paramount Plus, I believe it might still be in theaters as well, but a majority of it will be on Paramount Plus as well that people can watch it at home. You, you don't have to worry about are we taking money away because you're making a lot of your bulk money right now, which is usually the case when it comes to big blockbuster budget films or anticipated sequels in, in movie theaters is the fact that even though there's there used to be this long theatrical window, a lot of movies movies made their money within the first month, month and a half, and you still have that range of just being an exclusive theatrical release only within that window. So maybe we don't do day and date release. Maybe we don't go to 
back to the traditional theatrical window before COVID-19. But if A Quiet Place Part 2 is anything to look at, it seems like this could potentially be the way of the future with this 45-day window. And I'm very interested to see what F9 does with their exclusive theatrical window and if they'll expand it or not because this isn't Paramount where it's exactly 45 days. F9 is going to be more of a 17-day total, especially with AMC, with their exclusive deal that they made during the pandemic. So we're going to see kind of these exclusive theatrical windows really come about and how much these studios are able to make within those windows and if they're able to find some wiggle room in being maybe 45 days or 50 days and just being the first month and a half or two months exclusively theaters and then being able to go onto a streaming service or onto PVOD like Universal and, and AMC are going to be doing as well. So I think there's room to work with that's positive for both the studios and for the, the theatrical marketplace as well. So A Quiet Place Part 2 is definitely the success story of 2021 so far, and we'll see how that translates over to other movies moving forward. And unfortunately, 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 the same cannot be said for In the Heights, which dipped down 63% from number two, where it only made $11 million, to nosedive all down to the sixth spot, where Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, hits number three. Number four and number five is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and Cruella, which are both duking it out right now. It's only divided by $50,000, so the Monday actuals today will give a better idea of who took the number four and five spot. But number six, In the Heights, it doesn't seem like it's going to be getting those greatest showman legs that people thought it could maybe get in the next few weeks. It seems like it, there's just no interest in this movie right now, which is very, very unfortunate because, again, everyone, and including myself, thought this was going to be a huge success at the theaters. It was going to be one of the highest grossing films potentially of the year. And it's just it's an enigma at this point of what really went wrong with this movie. And it's not just the fact that know that that oh maybe people want to see the word of mouth it's just no though the core audience went out opening weekend to see the film and i'm sure the core audience probably maybe you could take this past weekend into account with hbo max and where people saw it in theaters and then maybe they're just going to continue to watch it on hbo max or they saw it multiple times opening weekend and now that they've seen it they've got their craving into seeing in the heights on the big screen or just seeing it overall that this this live action or, or this this adaptation to the big screen of this play, this musical, that the, the, the court audience is gone. And now it's just people that were interested in it are going to see it. And it's just not a substantial uh, body amount for this film. And it's just very, very unfortunate. Again, I loved In the Heights and I would love to see it really do well at the box office it's just it's not showing that right now and, and a lot of the a lot of the margin right now for its profitability is within the domestic range it's made 19 million dollars here in the united states and it, it it had a budget of 55 million dollars and they need to make probably around 100 million or so to get into the red and out of the black with this film so for warner brothers i'm sure they're it, it's not a good day for warner brothers and not a good weekend again for the studio right now with what they sure they thought was going to be a big success story for them and again it is a big success story in the fact of what it does for diversity and in the latin american culture and latin and the latinx community but it unfortunately just didn't seem like the, the marketplace shared that same thought as well which is a damn shame and and, and i really wish that in the heights was able to do well but 63 percent drop off when you wanted to have at least above 50% to stay within profitability and say, okay, maybe this does have legs. It just didn't show that way. It did not show that way. And it's very unfortunate to see that happen within the height. So what do you guys think about the box office this weekend? Were you disappointed by it? Were you surprised by it? What do you think of A Quiet Place Part 2 and the, and the the money that it's making and the how it's really kind of, uh, of showcasing that maybe we don't need a return to the traditional theatrical window. Maybe this 45-day one could be a way to look into the future of how we can make every single aspect of the parties that come along with this business satisfied. And also, what do you think of the Hitman, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard box office weekend? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And just before we leave this topic real quick, I do want to also give a shout out, finally, to Godzilla vs. Kong, which 
finally, finally, finally broke the $100 million threshold uh, on the domestic market. It is now the second film during the pandemic era to cross $100 million here in the United States. Second to A Quiet Place Part 2, which did it last week in crossing over $100 million. So again, positive reactions and, 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 and a great look of if the, if the franchise is right, if, if people are looking forward to certain titles, then maybe people will go out to the theaters right now and see those movies. I know a lot of people are going to be doing that with Black Widow in a few weeks that are going to be their first time going back to the movies, and that could be the same case going forward this weekend with F9 hitting the U.S. market in this this weekend. So what do you guys think about it? Let me know and leave your thoughts. Now I want to move over from the box office world to the world of comic book movies. And specifically, I'm going to be starting out with the DCEU and specifically the highly anticipated title, The Flash, which over the last few months into last year has been getting a lot of buzz and a lot of anticipation going for a lot of the casting announcements that were named, the the fact that this could be a multiverse story. We're going to be getting super girl. I think a lot of people want to see what the hell is this story going to be? What's going to be taking place in this film? We're going to be getting Ben Affleck back as Batman. We're going to be getting Michael Keane back as Batman. Sasha Kelly is in as Supergirl. We're getting Kelsey Clemens back as Iris West. Ezra Miller's back. Annie Muschietti's directing this film. What are we going to be getting with this film? Is it going to be kind of a semi-reboot of the DCEU moving forward? Maybe going away from the Snyderverse a little bit and going more towards what Walter Hermada and his crew want to do with the DC universe moving forward? And we finally got a, a unofficial look at some set photos that are coming from the production hub right now of The Flash. And we got our first looks, our first clear looks really, of both Ezra Miller as The Flash. We don't get him in the costume. He's kind of in the Barry, Barry Allen persona where he's got on, it seems like a suit, a trench coat, a tie. But the two big ones that came out of this uh, of these set photos is the first real good look of Sasha Cali as Supergirl, we see the full costume effect in this one, and we also get Michael Keaton back, not in the Batman costume, but as Bruce Wayne. He's got the full silver hair going, he's got a suit on, he's definitely aged up a little bit, of course, as Michael Keaton has done. He's not his young buck self as he was in the late 80s, early 90s, playing Batman in those Tim Burton films, but still looks really good, and it's just great to have him back as Bruce Wayne in these pictures, and to see that, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. And then I think the big one, of course, is Sasha Cali as Supergirl. And it's definitely a different look than than I think what we're accustomed to. I, I, we're not going to get the long, locked hair kind of Supergirl. It seems like it's going to be more of a crew cut, pixie cut kind of hair that Sasha Cali is going to be rocking. And I think the big thing, of course, also is the fact that the uh, is the suit. And any Muschietti over these last few weeks has been kind of teasing the symbols of his heroes. We've gotten the Batman symbol with that little drop of blood. We got the Flash symbol about a week or two ago and this past Friday we got the kind of first emblem look of Supergirl and from seeing that to seeing the full suit you're definitely getting Zack Snyder Kryptonian kind of vibes where it doesn't seem like maybe that Andy Muschietti is going to be moving completely away from anything that had to do with the Snyderverse in any of his movies and that he's going to be keeping some of the aesthetics from those films to keep up some kind of continuity, which I think is really good because you don't want to completely move away from everything, kind of detach from it because you want to keep, you're in that same universe, even if you're not trying to connect to everything, you want to just be able to say we're in the same universe, we're taking some things that we learned from the other films and, and keeping some of those aesthetics in here. And it seems like that's what they're going to be using for Sasha Kelly's Super Girl, excuse me. I love the costumes that we've been seeing. I just love the look of it so far. I wonder if we're going to be getting kind of Tim Bur- the Tim Burton sets back in this universe when Barry goes to that version of Gotham City with Michael Keaton. So it looks, it looks great. I'm really, really excited. And again, we haven't seen anything from Ben Affleck's Batman yet. I don't know if we've... If he's shot all of his stuff already or he's going to be coming in later in the shoot, maybe it showcases that he doesn't really have that big of a role. It really is more of Michael Keaton's Batman that'll be kind of taking up a main supporting role with Barry Allen in this film. So 
it'll be very interesting to see what happens. But see all this kind of just, again, coming together and the fact that this thing is shooting. We have Michael Keaton there. We have Ezra Miller there. We have Sasha Cali there. This thing is filming after all the production issues and, and hell it's been through. To finally see it shooting is amazing. And I'm really excited for it. Now, this is my second most anticipated DCEU film. I'm still looking forward to the Batman. That is my number one most anticipated. But hearing more about this film, this project over the last year or so, it's definitely creeped up there to my number two most anticipated for everything that this film seems like it's going to be doing and answering a lot of questions of what the future of the DCEU is going to be looking like moving forward in this post-Zack Snyder era, it seems like, that we're moving forward with in the DC universe so what do you guys think about these photos that we've seen do you like the supergirl look do you like sasha cali in that uniform do you think they can maybe tweak it up a little bit do you like that it seems like they're keeping that kryptonian aesthetic from the Zack snyder superman films from before what do you think about it what do you look about the look of michael keaton as bruce wayne ezra miller let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I wanna talk about in news today, of course, is moving on from the DC universe and moving over to the MCU. And the first thing that I do wanna talk about, really the only thing that I wanna talk about with the, the MCU today, other than, of course, what I talked about with, with Loki, was the first reactions to the highly anticipated phase four film in the MCU. And that, of course, is Black Widow. We are finally getting Black Widow in theaters after being delayed for so, so long because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're finally getting Marvel Studios films back on the big screen once again. It's been nice to have the Disney Plus shows and they've been great and added a new layer and dynamic and dimension to the MCU, but you can't beat seeing these MCU properties, these projects on the big screen in just its best form as possible with these big giant set pieces, these great characters. There's just nothing like it. And, and we're finally getting it back two years removed from seeing the last MCU film in theaters, which was Spider-Man Far From Home that came out during the July 4th weekend of 2019. So we're finally getting Black Widow and it's going to be kicking off a strong film slate that we're going to be getting in 2021 that continues with Shang-Chi, Eternals, and of course closing it out with the third film in this Spider-Man verse in the MCU, of course, with Spider-Man No Way Home. But right now, it's all about Black Widow. And there's been a lot of questions about this because Black Widow is going to be a prequel set in between Civil War and Infinity War. We all know what happens to her character after Avengers Endgame. So where does her story fit? How will this continue to layer in Black Widow and also introduce these new characters? Is this film really worth it? Is this film too late in its time? Couldn't it have come out sooner? And for the most part, you are getting, it seems like, overwhelmingly positive reactions to the film so far. And, and I got to say, it's great to get these 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 characters, the, the, these reviews again for the MCU. I've always looked forward to them and to finally have them is just absolutely amazing. So we're going to start out with the team over at Collider. First off with Steve Weintraub, who saw Black Widow over the last week. And this is what he had to say about the film. Kate Shortland had a difficult job trying to fill in Natasha Romanoff's backstory, but she nailed it in Black Widow. While the entire cast was great, both Florence Pugh and David Harbour hit home runs with their performances. No way audiences don't want more of both characters. Also, the action is non-stop in Black Widow and so well done. If you like it, you can thank second unit director Darren Prescott. You know his work from the John Wick movies, Black Panther, and Captain America Civil War. Don't watch on Disney Plus. See this in a movie theater. Perry Nemiroff, also over at Collider, had this to say, Doug Black Widow a good deal, was kind of worried about watching this story unfold, knowing what's to come in Endgame, that it might diminish it, the stakes, but that wasn't the case. In fact, this is the kind of prequel story that feels both bound to enhance other installments of the MCU. And then Kate Arrowbone from IndieWire had this to say, Black Widow actually bruising fighting and chase sequences, a go for broke Florence Pugh performance. Does she turn in any other kind? Nope. And a first half that's intimate and talky and kind of funny in a new way for the MCU. Yes, I enjoyed this. And then kind of moving down the list as well, we got another one from Courtney Howard saying, Black Widow is excellent, an exhilarating shot of adrenaline. Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh nailed the banter and ballad 
and ballet-like stunts. David Harbour is absolutely terrific. Big action set pieces are thrilling, propulsive, and captively constructed, multi-layered thematic resonance. And I'm going to be looking for a few more that I wanted to get to as well. But again, just seeing the highlights of what has been done with Black Widow, it seems like everyone is really digging the action and the ensemble that was put together. And usually with an, with an MCU film, sometimes you'll get not unknowns, but not these A-list big time actors and actresses to be in this film. But Black Widow, it seems like was able to draw up an ensemble of really well-known actors. They got a prestigious actress like Rachel Weisz to be in an MCU film, Florence Pugh, who is now an Oscar-nominated actress who really broke out in 2019. I think a lot of people are really gonna love her after this movie. She seems like she just continues to nail it. And of course, you have David Harbour as well coming in, playing Red Guardian. So to see him do really well, I'm just really excited and happy for everyone that was able to really kind of uh, really enjoy this film. And just one more that I wanna get to comes over from Eric Davis, the managing editor over at Fernando, and he always talks about these Marvel movies, and to see him talk about this again, and to kind of talk about MCU movies again is just absolutely amazing, so this is what he had to say about Black Widow. Marvel movies are back. Black Widow is a tense, action-packed spy thriller that truly completes Natasha's story in a visceral, visceral and emotional way. Florence Pugh crushes it and is an instant MCU icon. This is like the MCU's Bond movie with Shades of Mission Impossible and Thelma and Louise, which was kind of interesting when I read what he had to say about that. Also, some other things he says. A few other notes. Yes, there is a post credit scene, so stick around. David Harbour is hilarious and a major scene stealer. Takes place after Civil War, so lots of Avengers references. If this is Scarlett's black final performance as Natasha, it is a great way to go out. And the final thing he does say is, also the thing that hit me the most was the action. There are several big action sequences in Black Widow, and a hit immediately separates itself from the TV shows, which are softer on action and heavier on character. I missed big Marvel action. It's a fun ride. So again, overall, people are really digging this Black Widow film, and again, I think it's going to really showcase, like Eric was saying, the differences between the the Marvel movies and what we're going to be getting with the Disney Plus shows. Well, we're going to get some action with those Disney Plus shows, but I think as we've seen in WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and I think also continuing that with Loki, even though there was some good action in the second episode of Loki, it's all about these character developments and really showing more of these layers to characters that we didn't get a whole lot of time with in the MCU movies. And I do think that one of the similarities is also when you look at a lot of the MCU films to come and really the MCU projects, it really is diving deep into a lot of character developments. And again, Black Widow is one where we didn't know a whole lot about her, but we're going to be talking about her a lot more and really kind of showcasing more layers to her that we didn't really know. And maybe that would impact how we watch Infinity War and and, and Endgame a lot more. And then seeing more of these, these new characters that we're going to be getting is great. Introducing brand new characters with Shang-Chi and Eternals and, and investigating more of the Spider-Man character and the Black Panther character and the Thor character. We're really diving deep into a lot of these characters now. And so I think Marvel is realizing that you have a lot of big action and the movies will still have that, but we're going to be diving deep into and layering these characters more than, than was ever done before. So I'm really, really excited about that. And again, just to hear all these great reactions for Black Widow is amazing. I'm excited to see what this film brings. And again, just to see the MCU back on the big screen is just, there's nothing else like it. And I think, again, a lot of things about the pandemic taught us to, to not take a lot of things for granted. And I think for moviegoers, movie lovers, the theater experience is something not to be taken for granted. And I'm sure they're not doing that now. But also, I think there was a magic to all kinds of movies going to the big screen, but specifically what we got over the last decade or plus with the MCU and what it brought to the table. There was really nothing else like it, and I'm really excited to see that continue with Black Widow and moving on from there. So it's going to be great to see. I'm really happy that Black Widow is getting a lot of these great reviews. There were some that were mixed as well. So again, we'll, we'll see what the reaction is going to be in the next couple of weeks as well. But again, I'm really looking forward to the MCU films. And I think at this particular moment in time, people love the MCU. Uh, there's a big enough audience that people might just go see these films no matter what the, the critic score is offering. And you wonder, and I think it's true, even though there's been a lot of positive reviews for the MCU films, even if maybe Black Widow doesn't get the best reviews or gets middling reviews or 
if if any of these other films that come out get get middling reviews, is the MCU critic proof at this point in time? So you got to wonder about that, and and it'll be very interesting to see if that happens with Black Widow, or if it just continues this this wave of getting really good to good to great critic scores and audiences loving it and also being a big box office hit so we'll see if that magic continues moving forward in phase four on the big screen we're already seeing it do really well on disney plus with these three mcu shows so far so we'll see if that magic continues going back to the big screen as well so what do you guys think about the reactions going forward with black widow let me know down below and leave your thoughts and the final thing that i want to talk about here on the Sam Bissell podcast is moving away from the movie news and beginning kind of a look back on the journey for the Fast and Furious franchise in honor of the ninth installment in the saga premiering this weekend here in the United States. It's already made almost close to $300 million overseas, so we're hoping for some really good stuff happening this weekend here in the U.S. to really kind of boost up the box office for that film and really kind of showcase that the world is ready for movie theaters to come back if it's the right film right now. So I want to kind of look at, uh, kind of go back and look at the... The, the, how the Fast and Furious franchise really found its success. And you can look at the Fast and Furious, the first one, the second one, and I think for hardcore fans, you can look at the first four films as really building up this fan base. And some of them were, were, were hits, some of them were misses, but I think it's really, you have to kind of tell the story of those four films to really gauge the idea of where I'm starting at today. And that, of course, is the film that really kicked off what we know the Fast and Furious franchise to be. And that, of course, is with probably the best Fast and Furious film in the fifth installment, Fast Five. But really, that film really kind of changed everything. And you can look back at maybe the fourth film, Fast and Furious, and that that was the be- the very beginnings of things kind of changing for it. It had a big box office in 2009. He brought back the core cast. It had some really cool action, but nothing on the level that we began to get in Fast Five. But I think it'd be, it, was, it was the building foundation for what we know this film franchise to be nowadays. And But I think the one that really kind of changed everything was Fast Five. And, and I remember watching this film in 2011 going in and being like okay I I like the Fast and Furious films they're okay I was intrigued by the cliffhanger ending of the fourth film and how where they're going to take these characters moving forward and so I was really interested in it and by the end of watching Fast Five I was fully immersed into this franchise and wanted more and boy did we get more but it all started out with Fast Five kind of kind of being the first mega team up of bringing a franchise together before Avengers did it a year later in 2012 but the the Fast and Furious franchise bought almost all the characters from the previous four films for the most part into this one film for kind of like an ocean style bank heist against this drug lord in Rio de Janeiro and it was just absolutely amazing to see all these dynamics all these all these characters, all these personalities come together and fit so incredibly well. And I think for the first time, the Fast family was truly born with Fast Five. And you also have to look at the amazing, incredible action that came in. And it wasn't just the the, the famous bank heist scene, the vault scene that we know that film to be associated with, but you look at the very beginning where you have the, the train sequence when they're trying to steal the cars. That was an awesome sequence. And then of course you have The Rock versus Vin Diesel. And of course, course you can't mention fast five or really the, the 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 dynamic change of the fast and furious franchise without talking about Dwayne Johnson and what he did for his career with that film and what he did for that franchise moving forward because for the longest time I think a lot of people thought that Dwayne Johnson moving away from wrestling could be this big movie star he had the charisma he had the acting to do it I think a little bit he was building on that as well but he had the the of course the the physicality to do it I think he was able able to maybe do some great action sequences. He had the charisma. He had a lot of things working towards him. He could have been that next kind of Arnold, Sylvester Stallone kind of, or especially with Arnold, that like pro wrestler, big man turned actor in a way. And I think people were looking at Dwayne Johnson to do that. And for the first half of his career in the 2000s, it just, it was a lot of hit and misses. He he went over to more family-friendly films. He tried to do some action action sci-fi films with things such as like Doom and, and the score being king but it just really it wasn't working all that much and then he did fast five and then when he did when he played luke hobbs that was dwayne johnson and he took his personality his charisma 
and embodied it into that Luke Hobbs character. And I remember saying to myself when watching that film, that is the star, that is the kind of character that we wanted Dwayne Johnson to play all along. And he just killed it as Luke Hobbs in that film. The one-liners, the the, the the chemistry between him and his team and, and being able to go up against Dom Toretto, that was all what we wanted to see Vin Diesel do. And he did so incredibly well. I was very, very, very happy for him and what he was able to do in that filming and getting that big, her, 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 I can't even say the word, excuse me, but that big Hulk X-like action sequence. I was trying to say Herculean, but I'm gonna go with Hulking-like sequence again with Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson and and just being able to showcase the great chemistry between Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster and and Tyrese and and Luda and then getting of course Gal Gadot back in here with Song Kang it it was just it it was just a, a, a great film and I think one of the joyous surprises of 2011 I think when we look back on the last decade that really was a true joy surprise in which it really ignited the franchise that we know and love today and it brought really even though family has been associated with the fast and furious franchise since the first film in the fast and the furious it really i think hit home even bigger in this film where we were really introduced to the fast family that we know and love even in today with f9 coming out right now so to me this was really the inception point of the fast and furious franchise really becoming this big global powerhouse franchise that people know it to be today and, and it all is credited to that film and what Dwayne Johnson brought it and and, and what the, the studio was able to bring together with all these characters and, and making a fun bank heist film seem emotional and and you knew the risks that were involved with it and just making it feel grounded and somewhat realistic but also just being a fun stupid enjoyable film to see on the big screen as well so I think overall there were a lot of things to really enjoy with this film and I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. I'm really excited to see of course what F9 does but for Fast Fast 5, a great film, one that I can watch over and over again. My Personally, my favorite film in the franchise, It'll. I don't think anything will be able to beat it but I still love the films that came after it from 6 to 8 as well and those are the ones that I'm going to be talking about in the next few days as well leading up to F9. So. What do you guys think about Fast Five? What were some of the things that you loved about it? What were some of the things that you maybe didn't love about it? Let me know and leave your thoughts. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, WrestleMania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.